0: We are in Christmas season. Can you believe it? A whoop whoop for Christmas. Um, How many of you uh, are extremely excited that we are in the beginning Christmas season? Extremely excited. How many of you are like, eh, I could really care less. It could be January for all I care. (sighs) And how many of you are dreading it? (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh. Christmas is upon us once again. Didn't we just do this last year? I swear. Um, it's as if it's an annual thing. And it's this time of year when uh, when moms and dads start like freaking out, right? Because we're looking at our wallets and we're not seeing anything in there. And... Um, we're looking at our budgets or lack thereof, and, and you know honestly, some of us just have no cash, period. And we're like, what in the world are we going to do? I I, I, I mean, and, and I know you guys like you would buy the world for your children and your loved ones if you could, right? Like you would buy the world for them, and you're looking at what you have, and you're thinking to, to yourself, I've I can't buy them a lollipop, a dum dum for that matter, which is like the lowest form of lollipops. <laughs> and it's uh, so like, what do, we, what do we do? Every year, um, we have this sort of crisis of like, oh my gosh, Christmas is upon us. And, and then how many of us voice these words, I can't afford Christmas this year? Anybody ever said that? I can't afford Christmas? Now, how did that ever get into our language? I can't afford, let's just think about that for a second. I can't afford Christmas this year. But that's the way we feel. We're looking at, we're like, honestly, like, I want to show love to people. I want to show love to my my friends, my kids. And the reality is, is I uh, I, I can't afford anything. And then add on top of this, like, the economic times that we're in. I mean, we have, like, a lot of economic uncertainty. Um, it's, it's hard to get a job. For those that have a job, they're wondering if they're going to keep their job, and uh, we're, we're living sort of in these unstable kind of financial circums- or, or, uh, situation, this, this culture of instability, and, uh, and, and now we're entering, of course, into the season where we're supposed to be spending all of our money, and we're like, wait, I'm not making any money, right? And so what are we going to do? And, and we start to freak out. And um, then we Good Friday comes, or Good Friday, Black Friday, the opposite of <laughs> Black Friday comes along. And um, Good Friday for some, right? It's Good Friday because we can actually afford some things. And then we uh, take pepper spray and spray people to keep them away from the, uh, the stuff. That, that happened this, in Los Angeles this last Friday. Uh, because, and, and the, the uh, store owner said she was just trying to get a good deal, whatever. Um, Urban Outfitters was like stormed, all right, like riots, trying to get in the door as soon as they opened at one a.m. or whenever they open at those crazy hours. And, uh, um, and, and it's, but it's because like we're, we're freaking out, you know. And it's like these are good deals, and and so here we are, just like in this Christmas season. And then for many, what I just kind of described is what we think of when we think of Christmas. It's it's sort of. I mean, maybe there's some nice warm and fuzzy feelings when you see the lights and hear a Christmas carol or you think of your childhood, but for, the, for the, a lot of us, the reality is, is like, we come into Christmas and, and this is more how we're feeling. It's freaking out, it's stressed. It's like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to, to do anything this year for the people that I love and I, I don't know what I'm, how I'm gonna get by. And, and, uh, and, and add on top of that, maybe you even have some physical problems Of your own, and you're dealing with some physical pains, and you're thinking to yourself, like this is supposed to be a time of year where we have joy. Like this is the opposite of joy. The pressures of the Christmas season actually take away my joy. I don't have any joy going through Christmas. You might be thinking, like this is and. and, You've got suffering of, of, all, of all kinds, whether that's a lack of resources, whether that's physical problems or sicknesses, whatever that, whatever that may be. And uh, suffering, let me say this about suffering. As, as a pastor, just conversations with you guys and others who are journeying towards Christ. Suffering is probably, I think, the number one enemy, or it, it, it seems, it's the number one perceived enemy uh, that we have when it comes to having a vibrant relationship with God. So, what I mean by that is, we can all remember a time, or we can all imagine a time at least, where we had a comfy chair we were sitting on, right? And we had a cup of hot chocolate or coffee, and it was warm, and we didn't have a care in the world like everything in, in life was good. And you, you're reading through the Psalms or the Proverbs and you're just like, ah, like I love God right now. You know, life is, it's, it's easy sometimes to have a relationship with God, I think, or to feel good about God and to enjoy God, to have joy when it comes to our relationship with God. When things are good, right? When we're sitting in a comfortable chair and there's nothing to worry about, all our needs are taken care of, and, and uh, we're, we're, we're happy, we're, we're there. But what happens when suffering enters into the scene? See, so, for so many of us, and I've been there myself, like I've, I've said things like, man, it was easier for me to have a good relationship with God before this happened, X, and X means suffering. Before I entered into this season of suffering, and that season of suffering may be a lack of resources, finances, finances. it may be uh, physical problems, whatever it might be. It was easier for me to have joy in God before I entered into this season of suffering. And we're sitting there with suffering and we're hearing sermons about having joy and about loving Jesus and loving others. And we're like, man, I don't know if I can love other people because I don't even know if I can love myself right now or really don't know if I can love God right now. Like, my life sucks, right? And um, then we're go- entering into Christmas season and it's like, oh, happy, happy, joy, joy, lighting candles and singing songs, right, and Christmas trees. And uh, we're like, man... I don't know if I'm feeling it this year. Um, This Advent, what we're going to do, this Christmas season, we're going to go through, um, or we're going to begin going through this book of James. And uh, we're going to do it for three reasons. One, what we're going to find in James, and James isn't, I'm giving you an explanation because it's not like your typical Christmas passage that you would go to at Christmas time, all right? Um, But we don't do anything typical around here, right? Can I get a amen, please? Amen. <laughs> and uh, so we're going through James uh, for three reasons. One, it confronts our worship of materialism at Christmas time. All right. So it, we're, there are some things that need to change in the way we think about about Christmas and how we do Christmas that James confronts. So we're going to sit there, we're going to let that hit us, and we're going to go with it this this Advent season. The second reason is as we are. Uh, coming into uh, a, a new sense of belonging as a church, and we're coming together at, we're as as members of a family and what all this means, James presents um, a picture of the family of God and 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 uh, not only a picture, but shows how the family of God, how the people of God, or this new community of faith, is completely different than anything else you've ever experienced. It's different. And uh, James points out all of these differences beginning with what we're talking about today with how we see suffering how we view suffering and how we and how we go through suffering and the, the third reason we're going through James is because it does christmas is all about Jesus and James presents this unadulterated and unfiltered view picture of uh, of what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ as our lord so are we ready to dive into James and talk a little bit about about suffering i like that energy let's get another woo yes um, all right, James chapter 1, verse 1. <coughs> it's towards the end of the end, end of your Bible, uh, if you are um, new to the Bible. If you need a blue Bible, raise your hand and Mike can get you one. Um, James chapter 1, the, the very beginning of the book. And we're going to be in verse 1. And, and if somebody with a blue Bible can yell out a page number if you get it, that would be awesome. Whoever finds it first. What is it? 1,071. 1,071. Here we go. James. This is, this is how he starts, by the way. By the way, in, in the ancient uh, uh, culture of writing letters, you don't sign your name at the end, you sign your name at the beginning, all right? So he's signing his name at the beginning here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes in the dispersion, Greetings. Now, pause for one quick second. James was the brother of Jesus. All right. So this is not the disciple James. This is most likely the Jesus' half-brother. He's the son of Mary and Joseph. Who wasn't a believer, by the way, during Jesus' lifetime. We're going to talk about that later in, in, uh, in the series. So, but this is James' brother. Now, if it was me or probably any one of us, And we were the very brother of Jesus. We shared blood with Jesus Christ. And he was our half-brother. We saw him grow up, all right, our older brother. And uh, we were writing a letter to a church. We would start it. This is James. By the way, I'm the brother of Jesus. So listen to what I have to say, right? Right? I know Jesus pretty darn well. I can tell you anything you want to know about Jesus. And hey, there's no dirt on him because like he was perfect. Um, but we would take that and we would be like, that is the title I'm going to use for the rest of my life, the brother of Jesus, right? James doesn't use that title. He starts this out and he says, a servant, I'm James, a servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that James saw this as a higher honor. Not to just simply be of flesh and blood relative. But to be considered a servant. A slave. In chains. Bound forever to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you have had an experience with Jesus. In all of his glory. You are forever willingly chained to him as his servant, and there is no greater joy, no greater glory in your life than to be known as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, for those of you who are wondering if you just heard that right, let me read that again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, when you go through suffering. Count it all joy. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, or perseverance is another way to translate that, have its full effect. That you may be perfect, not sinless, but mature is what this is referring to. That you may be a mature person. That you may be full grown and that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. Now, it's easy for me standing up here relatively comfortable. I don't have any physical problems right now. Um, my dad uh, has cancer, but we found out this last week that it's, it's, um, it's confined to the prostate, it hasn't spread. It looks like he doesn't need surgery, that radiation will take care of it. That's very good news for us. Like, I don't feel like I'm going through a time of suffering emotionally right now. Um, it's easy for somebody uh, who is not going through an intense time of conver- or suffering to be able to read this and kind of just go on from there. Have, all, have joy when you go through suffering, when you go through trials. Okay, I can get that. So when, when, when trials hit me, when suffering hits me, I will count it all joy, right? It's that easy. And for those of you who are sitting here and you know what suffering means, you know what it means to suffer. Uh, you might literally LOL at this moment, right? <laughs> that To count it all joy. While I'm going through this, it's easy to stand up here when you're going through a relatively simple, easy time of life and say something that for someone, if, if my life could take a turn for the worse tomorrow, And it might not be as easy to stand up here and say, count it all joy when you go through suffering. Um, This is huge. This is huge. This is completely countercultural to the way the world sees suffering. The idea of counting it joy, not necessarily find joy in it, but count it as joy. The opportunity to suffer to count it as joy, like this is almost offensive. This is completely contrary to everything we feel, believe, and know about uh, what it means to be human. And what what, what it means to flourish as a a human. Then we go on, look at verse 12, as a matter of fact. It takes it even deeper. Blessed, it says, is the man who remains steadfast or who perseveres, or another way to another word that we could use there is who is resilient. Blessed is the person who is resilient under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Blessed is the man who has been tested, the person who's gone through a difficult season of testing and they have proven to be resilient. They've persevered. They've been knocked down and they've got back up. And for them, they received the crown of life. Why? This word tested in uh, verse, verse 3, it's, this, it's the same word that would have been used. It's, it's dochemian which is the same word that would be used in the ancient world to refer to testing metals. Uh, A materials engineer, we need Paul here to verify this. Um, But uh, for those uh, who would be testing metals in the ancient world, the goal is not to destroy the substance. It's not to destroy the material, the metal. Um, You wouldn't test it if you didn't think it was legit, right? Why would a materials engineer waste his time testing something that is fake? You you would test something. You would take the metal and you would test it for its strength, not to prove that it's false, but you would test it to prove that it's legit, that it's authentic, that it's real. And so what this is getting at is saying, God then is testing you, not because he thinks you're a fake or a fraud, not because he thinks that his testing is going to crush you and he wants to destroy you if he can possibly do so. What it's saying is, is if you are being tested in this way, if you're being tested, if you're going through this kind of trial, it's actually testament to your faith. God believes that you are legit and you are going to go through this kind of trial. You're going to go through this suffering. The fire is going to come down upon you and it's going to hurt. It's going to be bad. It's going to burn and you will be proved legit, authentic, stronger. When uh, About four years Five years ago, I guess it was. This word resilient entered into my vocabulary. Um, I started having some kids. (laughs) And uh, when you have children, you need need to be resilient, right? Um, In addition to that, I had one child, and we were pregnant with another one. And I was a youth pastor at the time, was burning myself out, working uh, crazy hours, uh, non-stop, I went. I was gone almost the whole summer to Mexico and uh, different places. Came back, and uh, the, day, the night I got back from Mexico, I was sitting in my living room. Uh, Jess and, and, and Jaden at the time were coming back from Florida, so I was by myself, and I literally just felt my body shut down. Like, completely shut. I've never felt anything like it before or since. Like, I just broke down. And I had a, a complete, like, emotional, physical... Breakdown. Like I couldn't work. Um, I was depressed for about six months. I felt like there was no light at the end of the tunnel. It was it was terrible. I actually remember Christmas time. I was with my sister uh, around Christmas time, and we were we were down in Florida, and my grandparents wanted to take us to some light show, and we were looking at the lights, and I told my sister, I was like, "These are just stupid lights." Like we. <laughs> this, what's, what's the purpose of this? These are just a bunch of stupid little bulbs. Like, I felt like there was no joy in anything. You know, something like, oh, let's go see the Christmas lights. It brought me no joy. And I was, I was just depressed. I was down. And uh, my, my faith, however, turned immensely in a, in a whole different direction Looking to God, because at the, at the moment, I felt like God was all I had. And if anybody's ever dealt with depression or despair, burnout, you know what I'm talking about. Like you feel that there is nothing out there. And, and for those of us who have a relationship with God, that is a grace that we can fall back on. And I turned to God, and this, uh, the seeming response that I got was not boom, boom, take it away, feel happy again it was suffer well suffer well we're being tested it will not last forever this too shall pass but while you're being tested suffer well have faith that this is not the end and we, we, we've seen this, haven't we? We've seen people suffer well, and we've seen people not suffer well, right? I can think of, off the top of my head, a couple older people that were just near their deathbed. And, and I can think of one person who was angry, um, irritable. He didn't want to be around them. They had one physical problem after another. And uh, um, they were bringing everybody else down into their suffering with them, right? And then I can think of somebody else who was the complete opposite. The same same physical problems, but you're around this kind of person and all of a sudden it's just like, you feel encouraged from being around them. You feel like strengthened in your own faith from being around this person. Why? What's the difference? Well, one is, of course, suffering well and one isn't. But how do we suffer well? What's the difference between these two kinds of people? One that gets angry and falls into despair and one that says this is miserable and I'm going to somehow look to God and find joy. Here's the difference. I want to look at it in verse verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. The difference is wisdom. It's the ability to, the ability to rise up beyond what currently is and to have a completely different perspective, a completely different outlook on what's, what's currently happening. And be, before we actually get into talking about wisdom, what, what this wisdom is, let's talk about what it's not, all right? um, College students go to this passage. Uh, James one five, and uh, they read this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And they automatically think, uh, I can ask of God for my smarts, right? And I don't have to study ever again, right? And uh, we're good to go. Uh, that's that's not what it is. It's not like some mystical kind of knowledge that uh, just gives you the ability to understand all of the problems. Of uh, so, college students, I'm sorry. You still got to study, all right. You still got to study hard. Um, it's not an infinite understanding of all theology, all right. You don't all of a sudden have a uh, the corner on the market when it comes to all things God, um, and it's not a guarantee that all suffering is uh, uh, being taken away. Um, it's not a, not a guarantee of deliverance. Um, let's. What What is guaranteed is this. When, when we are going through all sorts of trials, the, the worst that we can imagine, what we are guaranteed is, is this, it's wisdom. It's the ability to have God's view of how things are happening, what's going on in your life. Um, it's not the answer to, to all the whys, but it's a completely different perspective on, uh, on the matter of suffering. Um, look at verse 6. Let him ask in faith, with, that, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So here's this clause, all right, that comes with this, this, uh, this gift of wisdom. And that is this. And I want you guys to understand this. Wisdom is guaranteed for all who ask. You're going through a time of trials wisdom is guaranteed for all who ask, to be able to see through God's eyes. And the clause is this, if you ask in faith. If we begin to doubt, and it's not that we can't doubt things that are going on, and it's not that we're not allowed to, to ask God questions, but if we, if we begin to doubt God's sovereignty, and if we begin to doubt that God is, is not truly a loving Father that wants the best for us, If we begin to doubt those things, we are automatically going to be going to cloud up our minds, and we cannot even receive his wisdom. So it completely makes sense. And so to the person then who asks in faith that God, I'm going through this, I don't know how to get out of it. In faith, I I don't know why you're doing it. I don't know why it's happening. In faith, I'm trusting in you and I need, I need your insight, I need your wisdom and it's guaranteed um, now uh, verse 9 let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of grass he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flowers fall and its beauty perishes, so also Will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits? Here's an example of this kind of wisdom. All right, um, he, he references two people: those who the, the lowly man. So this would be somebody who uh, is is poor or is under resourced, doesn't have. This is somebody that's suffering, and then the rich. And I don't think this necessarily has to refer to to financial riches, but this is somebody who's just got it together. Somebody who's not, they, they seemingly are in need of nothing. And this is what wisdom does, all right? The lowly person, he says, and, and by the way, this is written to Jews who are part of what's called the diaspora. These are Jews who were in Jerusalem, and because of persecution, they, were, they, they spread, they scattered, and they're living as refugees. They left everything behind. And they're living as refugees. They've got nothing. They are poor. It's utter extreme poverty. And he's, he's looking at them and he's saying, look, for, the, for the, lowly, the lowly brother, those of you who are struggling, you've got to understand something. You need to rejoice in your exaltation. Your poverty, being kicked out of Jerusalem, losing everything that you once had, what it has not taken from you is your citizenship in the kingdom of God. It has not taken from you your part of God's family, your, your sonship with the heavenly father. And by the way, if we are children of God and God owns what? Everywhere. Everything. If we are children of God and we are going through a time of trial, what, what is our promise that we have to look forward to? If we are children of God, we have his inheritance. We have the inheritance of the Father. So he's looking at those who are struggling, who are suffering, and he's like, look, you've got to rejoice. As you go through this trial, you've got to rejoice in your exaltation, in the fact that you are being raised up, in the fact that you are united with the very family of God, that you have the inheritance of the creator of the universe, and you are a citizen, not of this world, but you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, and then he looks to the rich, and he says, "The rich then must rejoice verse nine the rich or verse ten the rich in in their humiliation. Now, if this is not countercultural, i don 't know what is right? For the rich to rejoice in their humiliation. this isn't James coming along saying. Oh, woe to the rich. You guys got it coming to you. You're going to be humiliated. He's like, no. The rich should rejoice in their humiliation. They should rejoice in the fact that all things are passing. Mary, when she uh, was, uh, found that she had the, the uh, Savior in her womb, she, Christ was growing in her belly In Luke 1, she said this. She sang this song and she said, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now what does that mean? It it doesn't mean that just because you don't have that you're automatically part of God's family. And it doesn't mean that just because you're going through a time of relative wealth that you're automatically part of God's family. And it doesn't mean that you're you're not automatically out of God's family because you have riches. But what it's saying is this, and this is where the the rich man um, can rejoice, is that riches will always fail. Riches will always fail. If nothing else, at the end of your life, ri- your riches will fail you. Do you guys know King Tut? How many, how many of you know King Tut? All right. um, King Tut was like one of the richest rulers ever of all time. And when he was buried, the Egyptians believed that if they buried their, the wealth, their riches with the person, that they would be able to enjoy their riches in the afterlife. And uh, some years ago, King Tut's grave was found his tomb or his tomb is was found and do you know what else was there well do you know what wasn't there king tut he wasn't there but you know what was there his riches like more gold than you can ever imagine and so here's king tut possibly the richest one of the richest people to ever walk this planet and was buried with his riches because they believed that he could enjoy them in the afterlife, and they're still there. He didn't take him with him. all right Riches the, the, the uh, imagery that's used here is like flowers that wither or grass that withers. Riches fade. Wealth fades over time. It withers. It always fails. And this is the wisdom, all right? This is the wisdom that, that a a rich person who, is, uh, who has the mind of God and the wisdom of God. This is what he would see. This is how he would rejoice. He would rejoice in his humiliation, in the fact that his riches will one day fade and all there will be left is Jesus Christ. Less of me and more of you. This is like John the Baptist. If you remember John the Baptist, people were looking at him and he wanted people to look away from him. Look, look, look to Jesus. John, John the Baptist found joy in people looking away and pointing more and more attention to Christ. For those who have good things going for them. We can actually rejoice in the fact that they are all fading And that one day we will receive something much better. And that's Jesus Christ. If our riches were all we had, whatever your riches may be, think of whatever you can grab onto. If that's all you had, and you didn't have Jesus. Another way to put this, alright? Another way this is, I've heard this said before. If you could go to heaven, or if you went to heaven, and you were given a mansion. and you, outside the mansion was your sidewalk of gold and street of gold, and um, you had no more pain, and, and it was the good life. All the uh, food you can—you know—endless amounts of blue crabs, just piled on your gold table, and you could just eat. Um, if you had every everything you can imagine, and Jesus wasn't there, would you be happy? You see, wisdom tells the the rich that all of these things that we currently can see are fading, and there's something better. And at the end of all of this, there's Jesus Christ, and we find great joy in that. And for those who are under-resourced, struggling, suffering... They too are able to see through this suffering, but in a different way. They they are able to see beyond it and say, This in the same way, this world is not all this too is passing. This world is not all I have, but there is something much better to be attained. There's something much better. The pain that I feel is not forever. Revelation 21 saw <clears throat> so a new heaven and a new earth the, the, the first had passed away the old order was gone and every tear was wiped away there was no more pain no more crying wisdom allows us to see this wisdom allows us to see through our suffering and allows us to see through our riches and what we see on the other side is the beautiful glorious hope of Jesus Christ of new life, of resurrection of happiness of of complete joy and see what James is saying is that gives us joy now that gives us joy now when we can see through it. Now, quickly, I want to talk about gifts. All right, What does this have to do with Christmas gifts? Um, <clears throat> uh, let me see if I can find what it has to do with Christmas gifts. Um, all right, so we, how, I, I guess, here's the question I just want to throw out. Throw out. How have we gone from it being all about Jesus. It's, it, it's, we can see through the suffering, and we can see through the riches, the material things, and we can see at the end of it, on the other side, we can see Jesus. How have we gone from that to making Christmas the number one consumeristic time of the year? I mean, we we rise and we fall on, on our economy rises and falls on what happens at Christmas time. How has that happened? How has how has the language of like I can't afford Christmas entered into my language? I think I've already said it once this year. We can't afford it this year, right? I mean, did James tell us that? Did we get that from Mary? Or from Jesus? Like what would Jesus say to us if we said that, you know? Um,
1: the truth is, we can't afford not to have. I mean, we can't afford not. I mean, if Jesus wasn't born, that would be a very bad thing for us. So we can't afford not to have Christmas.
0: Right, that's true. That's true. It's a better way to look at it. Yeah. What here's one of the greatest injustices of our culture of advertising and marketing. <clears throat> I don't want to get into this too much, but you can actually trace the last 60 years and sort of see how we've made Christmas all about what's underneath the Christmas tree. And and what you'll find is it's all about commercials and marketing. Um, one of the greatest injustices about that is this. Um, it tells us if we don't have enough, if we don't have enough money to buy if I don't have enough money to buy for Jess what I think Jess wants then that means I don't really love Jess like, or I can't show her the love that I want to show her this is what we're told this is what we believe is we have to buy, we have to do things we have to you know, we, we, our, our love will be showed to our relatives our loved ones based on how many wrapped up boxes we have in the living room on Christmas morning and we go into debt, we go into misery, we fall into despair, we hate Christmas season, because of it. I think it's one of the greatest injustices our culture can do to us, is to tell us that we have to buy all of these things in order to love our family. Now, here's my plea to you, my friends. Change the way you think about giving gifts. Change the way you think about giving gifts. Give the kind of gifts that God gave us, which was his very own son, that was a relationship, right? It was his very own flesh. Now, gifts are very good. You should give gifts, and give me plenty this year. But don't just throw stuff at people, all right? I want to look at verse 17, and we're going to end with this. It's two different kinds of gifts that we see, uh, and we're going to close. Verse 17, or let's back up to verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, uh, brings forth death. Now, sin is a gift from Satan to you it is a, a wonderful from a from a fleshly human standpoint it's a gift from satan to you this is this little wrapped up christmas gift and it, there's there's three different phases here that he points out the first one is that it's enticing sin is extremely enticing it's alluring it's like the siren call calling you out into the sea, right? It's, it, it, it's beautiful. We, for those of us, and sometimes I have conversations with, with, with uh, some folks about, about the nature of sin and, and whether or not we can ever get beyond even desiring sin. And I believe this. For those of us who think that one day we will just wake up and not desire to sin anymore, it's actually minimizing what sin is. When we believe that, I wake up and I want to sin every day. F- f- my flesh craves sin. I want to sin. It's enticing, it's alluring. And when we sin, what happens is we are trapped. And our, and our minds now shift. Our, our thinking changes. And if you're, if you're in, living in sin right now, whatever that might mean for you, you probably can't even name it because our, our thinking will completely shift and we'll, we'll begin to justify what we do. And then what, it's, it's, it's the slippery slope. It says then that sin, always when it's full grown, it brings forth death. So sin starts enticing, and then it traps us, and it grows, and it's, it's a slippery slope, and it always brings forth our destruction. Now, this is Satan's gift to you, alright? Look at the next verse, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation, creatures. We are a different kind of community that sees things differently, and what we see is that sin, the alluring gift, enticing gift of sin, is hollow, it's empty, and that good gifts come from God. All good gifts come from God. God gives good things, not counterfeit trinkets. And his gifts, God's gifts, always produce love. They're not always as enticing, but they produce love. They produce unity. They produce peace. And what James is pointing out here is that sometimes when we are going through a trial there is a gift somewhere in that for, for uh, myself as I think back to the suffering that I've had in my life I can think of uh, one friend off the top of my, off the top of my head immediately that, I, that I've mentioned here before he lost his son when he was two years old, his response was the same as mine. I'd never want to go through it again. But what came out of that in my life, I wouldn't trade it for the world. See, for those who are believers, for those who, who have the power of the Holy Spirit alive and active in their lives, in in their hearts and they are given the wisdom of God as they're going through all kinds of trials, it produces beautiful, good gifts in them. Is it possible that as you're going through a very difficult time in your life, is it possible that, that you are uh, missing out on the wisdom of God And that God wants to teach you something as you go through this. Is it possible that for those of you who are not suffering and you're looking at your good life, you're looking at your riches and you can't imagine any any pain, you can't imagine any sadness right now, is it possible that you're not seeing through those things, you're not seeing through to Jesus and you are finding your security right there in your stuff? Is it possible that the way we give Gifts at Christmas time could also um, bring forth a a sense of greed, a sense of uh, a a lust of the eyes, if you would, wanting more and wanting more. And is it possible that we could completely change the way not only we go through this season, not only the way that we can find joy right now in the midst of a, a, a uncertain time in our life, But is it possible that we can completely embrace the wisdom of God and have the wisdom of God? He will give it to you when you ask in faith. Have the wisdom of God as you enter every uh, trial in life. Um, This is possible only because of the baby that Mary was carrying in her womb. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet is looking forward to the coming Messiah. He's looking forward to Jesus, and he says this about him. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. What is impossible for the world to understand the kind of joy that we can have as people of God, as children of God, with his inheritance, as citizens, not of this world, this broken, drab world, but as citizens of the kingdom of God. What is impossible for the world to understand and to have is possible with God and for his people to have joy. To have joy. And we then become a people, a new kind of people who are resilient, who persevere, who get knocked down and we get back up, who can look in the face of evil and say, Do your worst, and God does his best in us. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. And we've covered some difficult stuff, and I want to take a quick time of Q&A. So if you have any questions, feel free to ask. God, we do thank you for uh, this opportunity to uh, open up this, uh, this book of James. And I do pray that um, it is not my words or wisdom or thoughts that communicates, but it is that your Holy Spirit, if there's anything uh, that... Um, that I need, that anyone here needs to hear this morning, I pray that you will uh, seal it in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Any questions on this stuff? Suffering, trials, riches, gifts? That it's, that it's of God, you mean? Right. Yeah. Um, pointing to Jesus. You know? Uh, that is, I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges is when we begin to blame God for the suffering. You know, so there's a fine line here between understanding that this trial can produce something good in us and that God uses what's meant to destroy us, He uses it for our gain. But it doesn't mean that God sent that destroyer alone. You know, That's actually the beauty of the gospel. Is that uh, Satan thought he was being victorious probably. In putting Christ on the cross. Yet it was the complete opposite. And Christ rose victorious. And that's the way it is with, with us. What's meant to destroy us doesn't destroy us. And it makes us stronger. Um, so I think if you could communicate that to some degree... But there's gotta, we've got to point people to Jesus. I mean, that's where it's at, is pointing people to the cross. Maybe even using that example of, of it looked according to the world standards that, that Satan had won when he put Christ on the cross. But uh, God used it for victory. Anything else? Oh, Hey. <laughs>
1: Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to do that or not. But uh, I think sometimes I wonder about, like, the result of suffering. Like, I know with Christ being crucified, and then when he resurrected, like, there was equal power. The suffering and the resurrection, like, there was equal power when he overcame, you know. And sometimes I feel like the suffering I've gone through, I don't know if it's reaped the benefits that I was supposed to. You know what I'm saying? Like, Do I have the amount of faith? Am I a better person or am I a better Christian as as a result of going through the suffering? And sometimes I wonder about that. I I hope I'm asking the question correctly. For instance, when my mother died, you know, you never, you know, I know that it was within God's will and I know I suffered, but I don't know if I've grown to the point or if I've produced the fruit that God would have hoped as a result of that suffering.
0: Yeah. I think uh, we, we've got to be careful as to what we even define as fruit, though. Yeah. Um, because what we're looking at is perseverance is fruit in and of itself. The ability to get back up when we're knocked down is fruit. Um, and uh, so, uh, so the fact that you are um, here is, you know, that, that you didn't fall into despair forever, and that you were able to get back up is fruit. Um, but also some of these subtle things like patience That you know, or a deeper understanding of someone else who's suffering, and being able to uh, to help. I think uh, on it's kind of like this. If you have a, um, how many of you are parents? How many parents in the house? So, for those of you who are parents, when your kids get older, college age, they're they're approaching college. There are some parents out there who don't want their children to. ever have to experience difficulty. And so they pretty much make all their decisions for them. They protect them. Um, they don't let them experience the world, right? They keep them home all the time. They, um, uh, they pay for everything. They never, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't want to step on too many toes. So I'm gonna stop my uh, examples. <laughs> but, um, versus a parent who says they need to learn that life can be difficult. They need to learn to suffer. And not, not just so they can experience the world, but there's something that happens in youth as we grow. And as we are allowed to fall on our face, there's something that happens in us. You know? And we, we learn not to take that step anymore because that step last time made me fall on my face. You know? um, and so it's, there's, there's this, uh, we've got to keep, keep in mind that God is our father and we are his children. And he won't, he won't let us go through anything which will destroy us, which will kill us. Um, but he will allow the brokenness of the world to touch us so we can grow and understand more what it means to be a follower of Christ.